0: The Art of Leadership Network.
1: Welcome to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. It's Carrie here, and I hope our time together today helps you thrive in life and leadership. Man, I love meeting young leaders, and we got a couple of incredible young leaders on the podcast today. Joey and Christy Spears are some of the best marketers and branding people I know, and we talk about top marketing mistakes church leaders make, how to get noticed online, and the keys to effective entrepreneurship when you're in your teens and 20s. They have quite a story and this episode is brought to you by Pro Media Fire. You can sign up today for the Recession Proof Growth Strategy Webinar by going to promediafire.com slash recessionproof. And by Convoy of Hope, you and your church can help provide relief supplies to victims of natural disasters and other global events by going to convoyofhope.org donate really value our partners and thank you so much for checking them out. A hello to all the new listeners there. We know you are paying for this with your time. We think this will be great value today. Let me tell you a little bit about Joey and Christy Spears. They're the founders of Creative Rise and I Need Brand Therapy.com. As two young, newly married entrepreneurs, their aim is to build a world where more people succeed doing what they love. After building a six-figure creative agency as a teenager, Joey decided to share the secrets of building a creative business. And so he started Creative Rise, a business education platform for creatives. He also started I a consulting service for large and small organizations and brands. Today, he's a brand strategist, marketing consultant, and communicator. Christy Spears founded a thriving destination wedding photography business, and now shoots commercially for large companies such as LaCroix, For LaCroix, for all you Americans, Sparkling Water and Anthropology, she's the co-owner of Creative Rise and the co-founder of a nonprofit, Compassion Causes, that brings clean water to Nicaragua. We talk about all that and more. I think you're going to love it. Research from Harvard Business Review found that during a recession, firms that cut costs faster and deeper than rivals actually don't flourish. And businesses that boldly invest more than their rivals during a recession Don't always fare well either. The study revealed there's a sweet spot with 9% of companies growing during a recession and the key is your strategy. That is why ProMedia Fire wants to invite you to the recession-proof growth strategy webinar this month, the event is free and for businesses, for nonprofits and for churches, it's going to be particularly helpful. During this webinar, you're going to learn how to discover your sweet spot to thrive, discover the growth hacker framework to grow online and understand how technology can help you save money and grow you. So you can sign up today for the recession proof growth strategy webinar. Simply go to promediafire.com slash recession proof. That's promediafire.com slash recession proof. And what are you doing to really help people around the world? Like what are you doing personally? What are you doing at your church? Do you know Convoy of Hope has helped over a hundred thousand individuals in Ukraine, but they're also all over the world. The average church can't get to the places Convoy of Hope finds itself. You can't do it. You don't have the scale. Even if you're a mega church, guess what? You don't. That's why partners like Convoy of Hope are so valuable for churches. So if you want help or you want to partner with them and you want to stand up in front of your church and tell them, hey, We're in Ukraine. Hey, we're delivering relief to Puerto Rico. Hey, we are helping out people in America and around the world when they're in trouble. Go to convoyofhope.org slash donate. They're fantastic people. So go to convoyofhope.org slash donate and check it out today. Well, I'm so excited you're with us today. I love listening to podcasts. So whether you are at the gym, on your bike, in the kitchen, or whatever you're doing, maybe you're sitting in a hammock enjoying the last fumes of summer and fall. Uh, here's my conversation with Joey and Christy Spears. Joey and Christy, welcome to the podcast.
0: Thank you. Thanks for having us. Appreciate it.
1: <laughs> Do we get a,
2: a backyard cookout like Karen got? No, we're going. <laughs> we're going to a restaurant. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> that was my favorite part of that episode. She's like, "Oh, you got? Oh, we got to get out there. Our family's out there. And we got ribs." Well,
1: <laughs> Tony's Tony's out of town, and like basically, I got like steak. That's it, or chicken, or something. That's all I got. So. Kind of called out, but we'll take it. Dinner, hey, it's been a long time in coming, and um, you know, I'm really fascinated because a lot of young leaders listening to this podcast, and you guys, I find incredibly inspiring. So I want to back up, start with your stories, and then we're going to talk about entrepreneurship. We're going to talk about getting noticed online, branding, which you guys Mm -hmm. both specialize in, et cetera. But Joey, I'll I'll start with you. Mm -hmm. Um, We've known each other for what three or four years now. Probably yeah, probably a year and a half before COVID. Yeah, a so year and a half probably, before COVID. It's yeah. funny how it's just sort of like A D B C. Oh, absolutely. Uh-huh. Yeah.
2: Okay. That's so
1: good. So, uh, and I know I know some of your personal history, but you didn't fit in well at school. Uh, like you found the traditional education system. By that, I'm not talking about university. I'm talking about kindergarten. Right. Like way back when it was challenging and you started your entrepreneurial journey early. So if you could unpack your
2: story and then I want to hear yours, Christy, as well. Right. Okay. Yeah. Um, we could do a whole episode, I'm sure, on this. But didn't fit in well, like you said. Uh, early age, um, ADHD, diagnosed. A lot of people throw it around ADHD now. I'm like, I th- I'm an OG ADHD-er. i like, actually <laughs> diagnosed. I remember sitting in the, the room with a, the with a doctor when I was so young. So ADHD, uh, processing issues, that's a really interesting one. So my brain does not process information certain ways very well. Um, which is fascinating as I learned that. And then uh, a couple different small learning disabilities, which, yeah, set me up to not have a great time in the traditional education path. So how did that show up? How did that manifest? Um, high energy. Just ask uh, his mom. Yeah, <laughs> High energy. When uh, does this kid turn 18? <laughs> right? Yeah, seriously. Can we get rid of um, him? <laughs> really social. Uh, and so I think naturally being really high energy and really social, going into an atmosphere where I I didn't fully you could say, keep up at the same rate other kids kept up. I would fall behind. And my only way to kind of stick in uh, socially or whatever you say is maybe get myself in trouble. So that's probably how it showed up. Um, I've been a troublemaker since uh, as early as I can remember getting myself into trouble at school. What, What did that trouble look like? So, super uh super comfortable with conflict so i would always be it would always be conflict not peer-to-peer but like myself to authority so it was always getting into it with teachers uh youth pastors growing up pastors whatever it was any type of authority that i could somehow get into trouble with i somehow found a way to get into trouble with and you're an enneagram eight yes to the bone so um (laughs) so i wish i would have known that earlier because it probably could have helped me a lot but i definitely did not know that so yeah story starts with that um went to a private Christian school growing up. Uh, God bless the private Christian school I went to, but it was not, people would say, my mom often says, it wasn't always run as well as it maybe could have been for someone like myself. Right. There wasn't in that private sectors and maybe not as much attention for people uh, that have different needs, educational needs than than some other people. So I feel like from a young age, I kind of knew, hey, I don't enjoy education. I love school. I love going to school, friends, sports on the sports team until I got kicked off the sports team type thing. But I loved being in that atmosphere. Um, But yeah, it was always something that I knew was not going to be, you know, a a path that I would continue down looking at post-secondary school and stuff. So um yeah ended up going into grade eight terrible kid terrible track record that's the word that got me my entire life oh your track record this your track record that walked into my first day of grade eight um got me to put in a class with a teacher that threw a chair at me the previous year we did not have a good relationship <laughs> oh, your and, teacher threw a chair yeah at did not wow. have a good relationship and i remember she walked in first day of grade eight and i went man i last year, I got to push through. Uh, I'm so excited to get on to high school. Hopefully it's going to be a fresh start for me. I, hopefully I can reset my track record. And I remember she came in, read a bunch of names off a piece of paper and said, Hey, if you uh, just said your name read out, please pick up your chair. You're going to be going out to a portable outside. You have a new teacher. And we were like, Oh, interesting. Um, so it was kind of like a bunch of the bad kids and a few other kids that got lobbed in with us had to go outside of the portable. Our school got some new portables and I walked in, there's a gentleman sitting there, never seen him before. I was a brand new teacher at the school and he called kids up one by one calls me up. And, uh, he looked at me and said, Hey, like my name's uh, Mr. Norris. And, uh, he said, do you know what these are? And he held up a, a little package of papers. And I said, well, uh, yeah, I know what those are. And I was kind of embarrassed about it. it is my individual education plan. So my IEP. Um, so traditionally it's everything you can't do. Joey can't do this. He can't process this way. His ADHD forces him to act out like this. Right. Um, and he just looked at me and said, "Hey, man, you don't know me. I don't know you. But what I know about these papers are, and what I've heard about you through your track record, because every teacher in the school has told me about it. Today in our morning staff meeting before school started, none of this is, or none of these are walls. They're just hurdles, and I'm going to actually teach you how to run and jump. So that was my first. Uh, I think that was my first piece of like authoritative." Um, maybe just like resetting of, Hey, I understand your track record, but I'm not going to hold it against you. I'm going to help you learn how to do something else. So that was a big moment for me. I almost cried in, in my first day of grade at class and it changed my life. Uh, not in the moment. Obviously there's a lot of stuff that had changed in me throughout the years to come and still changing as I grew up. But that was a big moment for me. And I think what he did was he taught me how to learn that year. He taught me how to teach myself how to learn more importantly. Um, and that I think just propelled my, my, uh, my excitement to get into entrepreneurship. So since then, I think it's just been a road um, towards, yeah, building things and and going, how can I build something, hopefully uh, succeed at it? If it doesn't succeed, how can I go back to the beginning, find somebody else that succeeded at it, mm-hmm. ask them for help uh, and help have them be a guide. And then now a lot of our lives look like together. A lot of our lives, which I'm sure we're going to get into is kind of then reaching back and going, how do we help other people figure out how they learn and how can they help, you know, build themselves things too. So that's how the entrepreneurship stuff started. Um, Boy, I
1: feel like we could spend the whole yeah. hour on that, which yeah. is fascinating. So I want to pick up the entrepreneurial journey in a minute. Christy, I want to hear about your first decade or two of life. I yeah. imagine it was not quite as dramatic as, as Jerry's, was it? <laughs> well, I'm an Enneagram
0: six. So the ah. fear of authority was strong in me. So a little <laughs> bit, a little bit different. Uh, yeah. But yeah. I'm the American. So I'm sitting between two Canadians. I'm an American, uh, uh-huh. born Chicago, moved over to California when I was just a baby with my family. And they started, uh, they planted a church. So my parents are uh, church planters from mm-hmm. the very beginning. Yeah. It's all I've ever known is being a pastor's kid, which honestly, and actually, probably surprisingly, I didn't hate. Uh, actually, yeah, had a great experience. Yeah, I, I with want that. to
1: talk about that just to connect the dots. Tell people who your parents are. Yeah, yeah. so uh,
0: my parents are Ray and Carol Johnston, um, pastors over at Bayside Church in California.
1: Yeah. yeah. Huge, huge mega church, very effective, mm-hmm. very powerful. One of my good friends ended up there recently. Mark Clark is yeah. now there.
0: We, we love him. him. Uh, we love him.
1: How can you not love Mark? I mean, <laughs> yeah. my gosh. I bet you another kid who really struggled in school. I gotta talk to him about that at some point. Probably. Think so. Yeah, I I would think so. You can draw that parallel, yeah. probably.
0: You like, can probably draw that
1: parallel. Funny. And one day you'll end up on a podcast. Okay. Yes,
0: <laughs> anyway. yes. Yeah. So yeah, grew up in yeah. California and yeah. uh went to school, didn't have any teachers throwing any chairs at me, but <laughs> <laughs> had, a, had a pretty good It's a great experience. Time. You missed out. One. Yeah, had a pretty good time in school, um, but yeah, graduated university and uh, kind of was always flip flopping what I wanted to do. I almost went to law school. Um oh, wow. Worked in a law firm for a little while, but actually went completely the opposite direction and got into the creative industry. Uh, so I became a wedding photographer. Did that for five years, uh, shooting weddings all around the world. So got into that and brand photography and that whole.
1: What was whole attractive thing. about law to you?
0: Honestly, I so I studied business in school mm-hmm. and really loved it. Um, but went into a law class, a business law class, which is probably about as dry of a law class as you can oh, probably yeah. Contracts. get. Contracts, <laughs> and I had the driest law professor you could have ever had. <laughs> and for some reason, I was excited to go to class every day. And I was just wow. like, man, something in this is so interesting. And I think, and maybe this is also attributes a little bit to our entrepreneurial journey is that I love arranging things to make it work and fit and actually move forward. And I think that's a little bit of law. You're taking pieces from stories you're taking past law and you're putting it into the present and you're kind of arranging things to fit and work. And I think that piece and like the interaction with people is what I just loved. Hmm. So solving problems, hmm. figuring out how to move forward. I think that's what just what interests me. And then I went and worked at a law firm and I was like, oh wait, never mind. Never mind. This is, <laughs> this is not for me. This is not for me.
1: Uh, law firms are a particularly interesting uh, species. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh-huh. But that is a like a hard right or a hard left. I mean, you end up going from law, which is kind of buttoned down into yes. creative photography mm-hmm. and an entrepreneurial journey on your own. What why photography?
0: Yeah. So I, it was actually not an accident that I started it, but I um, started a nonprofit with a friend and we were drilling wells down in Nicaragua, having a blast. And that was like, okay, this is what I'm going to put all my time into. And I just graduated university. Student loans, all of that kind of stuff. I was like, man, the nonprofit bills right now are not paying on this startup nonprofit. So I was like, what skill do I have? And I was like, okay, I've had a lot of people ask me to like, shoot their senior photos from school or their wedding or whatever. So I was like, okay, I'll give myself six months. If I can make this into like something that could be full-time so that I can do the nonprofit stuff and not have to get paid by the nonprofit, that's like my goal. Like, I don't want to Mm -hmm. have to be paid by the nonprofit. I just want to be able to do stuff for the nonprofit. So gave myself six months and said, if I can turn this into like a thriving business, then great. And if not, I'll do something else. And after six months, I was flying around the world, doing all these things and having a full-time income with it and just kind of ran with it. To okay, honest. we're gonna
1: have come because I, I, I was not
0: one of those like I was born a photographer artist yeah. like at all. I was like, I like people and I can. Be around yeah. people with a camera and
1: As both of us.
0: build a business around it. So yeah. And
1: that's that's what's gonna make this such a fascinating conversation. Both of you, you know, it's not like you languished for 10 years, then all of a sudden had your breakthrough. Like yeah. it was a pretty meteoric rise. So, Joey, picking up where we left off, first of all, I gotta ask, why did the teacher throw the chair at you? When
2: you talked about <laughs> the chair, question. I'm like, Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't fully remember the little, story, but uh-huh. I can guarantee you it was something happened in the classroom. No one was going to take a stand against the authority. So I was like, great, I'm in. Put me in, coach. So that was me. I was like, if anyone needs to step in and, and do something to oppose the authority that I thought was being abused, whether it was or not, I think that was kind of my role. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I. I yeah, I'm, sure I'm sure she, she knows, yeah. And and just
1: out of exasperation, frustration, she checked a chair at you? Yeah, and, or, those,
2: those like typical blue, you know, the blue chairs oh, yeah. with the metal yeah. legs. Yeah, uh-huh. I was, like, yeah, I can picture yeah.
0: it. Did she make contact?
2: Uh, yeah, it, 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 there was another guy named Brad in my class. We both got it and got it thrown at us, so. Wow,
0: wow. <laughs> yeah, it was Love a- it.
2: A couple crazy years. So, uh, you know, I've been reading
1: uh, 10 years after everyone else, David and Goliath by Malcolm Gladwell recently. Mm. And one of the arguments he makes, which I think is interesting, if you look at the number of highly successful people, CEOs like Richard Branson, you know, uh, like, I'm going to get the math wrong, but something like a third of them are dyslexic. Mm. And the usual narrative is, oh, I succeeded despite my dyslexia. And yeah. the the spin that Malcolm Gladwell puts on it who we also had on this podcast yeah. was uh, he says, well, what if it was because of mm-hmm. like, what if, what if the inability to fit, to conform to the typical mold is what actually made you stand out and mm-hmm. search other things. I'm curious on, on your take for that. Like when you look, cause I think I was like, you know, I'm significantly older than you are. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, you know, I probably am ADD. I don't know about HD, but ADD mm-hmm. for sure. Um and I've had had friends who are med- doctors sort of say, yes, yes, this is true. And, uh, and uh, you know, and and again, I was an okay student. I wasn't a great student. Once I hit university, I kind of found my my lane. Mm. Uh, but like, yeah, it kind of propelled mm. me like, I'm not going to work for other people. I'm going to do mm. something on my own. Like, how did that impact your entrepreneurial journey? Or can you see the, yeah. the dotted line or the totally. straight line? Yeah,
2: of course. I, I think it's probably a lot of things and I'm sure Malcolm could could nod his head to that and give a lot of uh, educated examples on why it's a lot of things. But for me, I love the quote and we've all heard it. You know, the pain of your past is your feel for the future. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think if I look at my past, the story we were just talking about where my grade A teacher said, hey, here's your IEP. Do you know what this is? I said, yes. Um, I think what he taught me was, he taught me how to break my track record that year. Um, and and really, if I was to put that into a business uh, objective narrative, I would say he kind of taught me how to rebrand. He taught me how to rebrand myself personally. And I think if I look back to what I do now and I go, okay, why do I do what I do now? And why am I so excited about it? And why do I feel like it comes so naturally to me? I think it's because, that was really my only option. It was like, I either learned how to rebrand or I would follow what my principal said. Oh, you're going to be in jail by the time you're 17, right? So it was like, oh, he taught me how to rebrand. So now I look at life. I feel like that's now shaped my worldview. And so everywhere I look, every business venture I get into, all the churches we work with or organizations or friends, even just in conversations, it's I'm always looking at it from the perspective of how can we re-identify whatever this is to create a brighter future. So I think... Maybe I got a taste of that earlier than some people and call it self-awareness, maybe just due to the situation and and that guidance I had from him and my, my parents are phenomenal too. So they've yeah, always yeah. been, been big fans of me pushing me on despite all of the circumstances that they were thrown. Uh, so yeah, I, I, it's probably a mix of a lot of those things, but I think it's, it's that critical moment that I had that had such a large buildup of pain. It allowed me to see a brighter future for the first time in a long time. And I think I think that has yeah, propelled me to I think be optimistic about creating that for myself and then helping other people create
1: that. Do you think, or do you agree with the possibility that had that teacher not shown up, you could have been headed for prison by 17? (laughs) Probably. Really? Well, I I That's reasonable.
2: Yeah. I I was never, I never was doing stupid things in terms of like uh, drinking and drug. Like I never got into that stuff. I was always very like self-aware on what I was excited to do in life and what I was definitely not going to do. I always had pretty harsh do's and don'ts, but the yeah, the, the objections to authority, I think, is is one of the strongest parts of my personality. And I think it it had such a dark side of that for so long because I wasn't really aware of it, nor had a care on how to handle it properly. Um, so yes, I'm sure it would have gotten me into a lot more trouble than, than I've than I've gotten <laughs> maybe myself into. Maybe just resisting
0: arrest. Like maybe that's just what it would have been for. <laughs> like, not actually doing anything wrong, it'd be resisting arrest.
1: Yes. Uh, so yeah. Okay. So entrepreneurship. You were really young when you started, um, you know, not the side hustle, just a job. You didn't You didn't go and, you know, uh, work at a corner store or most of the, you know, got a job at camp. I think you did work at a camp, yes. but you know what I mean? There's yes. sort of a path for a teenager. Yes. Your path was really different. What happened and when did you start?
2: Yeah. So I um, got to the age, you know, 12, 13, where you're starting to get a little bit more independent and I'm a big extreme sports guy. So we used to do a lot of stupid things Uh, jumping off bridges into water, you know, cliff jumping, lots of skiing, snowboarding, skateboarding, all of that fun stuff, biking. And I remember I was always the kid going, well, somebody has to take a video of this Mm. because it's either going to work or somebody's going to get hurt. And either way, it's a great video. Right. So I was always the kid who was like, oh, I'll film it and then I'll do it. And then I can pass the camera to you. You can film it. And so I think I started shooting videos and it was all video, no photo, all video, hardcore at probably 11 through 13. I would come home, make a video or two a day. Like it was all I wanted to do was create something and, and take it for your friends, take right? it and show my parents, take it, show my grandparents, take it and show my friends' parents and scare the daylights out of them. Cause like, what? My kid jumped what on a bike, you know? <laughs> and I think over time I turned 12, 13 and people started saying, wow, I saw the video your mom posted on Facebook that you made. Have you ever thought about maybe doing a video, could you shoot a video of this for my business? And I would go, oh, totally. So as the 13 year old, I'm running around with a little backpack of camera gear um, on a very cheap budget camera, you know, set of equipment. And I would start making videos. And what I learned was, um, wow, I can actually help people solve problems. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they're they coming to me with this type of problem and I can fix that for them. And that was for someone who was always told, you can't do anything, you can't do anything, you can't do anything as a kid, that level of, um I guess ownership over helping somebody do something at the age of like 13 was really, really addicting. It was really fun. Right. So I just latched on to trying to help people solve problems. And I think the first method of that was filmmaking that I found, which then took me into marketing and took me into a bunch of other stuff. So yeah, I started a company at 14 and I just went, this is what I'm going to do for my life with my life. I'm just going to, Get myself through high school. Um, high school was great for me, by the way. I really turned, I think, my reputation over in high school, which was phenomenal. I had great relationships with my teachers, and I think it's because I finally found, uh, finally found something that I could channel all my energy and everything into, uh, which really allowed me, I think, to, to yeah, have a have a better experience with people, um, but. So yeah, I got into that uh, at the age of fourteen, and um, that's I kind of say to people, right place, right time. That's when social media really started to take off. Those the earlier days of Instagram, and I remember being young enough to have all the time in the world to put my all my eggs in that basket, but old enough to also be, you know, socially aware enough of how the platforms worked. And so I think I I got a good a good chunk of my of my life through the ages of, you know, 14, 15, 16, 17, where I dedicated a lot of time to, to studying how people interact with each other online, how, how industries, you know, try and sell through the internet. And um, yeah, it, it gave me a lot of cool, cool opportunity to, to grow as a problem solver. How did, how did the jump go
1: from your parents' friends, which is one thing, because yeah. I think everybody's got parents' friends, yeah. to being flown around the world doing brand shoots yeah. for International corporation. Yeah, so I as remember, a teenager.
2: Yeah, so I right? remember seeing a, a video early, 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 right when Instagram came out with video. So this was probably um, I don't know what year this would have been, but I think I was maybe fourteen. And yeah. I remember it was Gary V. This is early oh, Gary yeah. V. Days. So he's Gary sitting v. getting his hair cut uh-huh. and he's talking, and he said, "If you want to be working with brands as whatever, if you want to be successful on the internet, you should be reaching out to people for five to seven hours a day." So I would spend all day at high school, reaching out to brands. I would spend all night when I got home, reaching out to brands. I had a little school computer because of my IEP. So they gave me a free computer. So I would just sit there in (laughs) class and I'm just like looking up emails. I'm guessing emails, you know, I'm guessing like contact or marketing at blank company, you know, and, uh, I would just reach out and pitch and pitch and pitch. And they were terrible. But over all those years of doing that, I probably sent thousands of emails or, or direct messages on instagram asking people and it always sounded like it's hey my name is joey i'm a photographer or a filmmaker can we work together which is a terrible pitch but that's what it all started out as right and so i think I'm over time I learned, to, yeah, I, learned to, <laughs> yeah, I learned how to yeah i learned how to yeah i learned that's how to refine it. that and i learned how to uh, go okay you know you got to figure this out and you got to figure that out and um, there's a couple like key moments where i think i got big, I got taught big lessons through failing, which allowed me to break through and, and and achieve working with a bigger brand over the years. But I think it was just, I had a lot of time, Carrie, and I, I didn't feel like there was anything else I wanted to do other than solve problems for people. I'm so. so glad you told that story because, you know, as Seth
1: Godin says over and over again, so many of us are waiting to be picked. Mm. Mm. It's like, how come you didn't see that Facebook video that my mom posted? Yes. How come you're yeah. not reaching out to me? Why aren't yes. you? Right. It's like, Five to seven. This is this is now, you know, 500 and blank, blank episodes yep. in. Such a repeated theme. Mm. Cold calling. Yes. Mm. Willing to yes. be rejected. Yeah. Uh, getting a thousand rejections mm. and one acceptance and keeping going. Mm. Okay, Christy, back to you. Yeah. This is fascinating. I feel like, you know, it's two different episodes. Season, you know, <laughs> one, season two of yeah. whatever. But um, so law, no. Uh, photography, yes. And a rocket mm. ride, yeah. In six months, you're being flown around the world. Walk us through that.
0: Yeah. I think a similar story to Joey a little bit in that it was the right place at the right time. I, uh, basically reached out to a couple photographers that I knew that I knew mm. of. I actually didn't have any close friends that were photographers at the time. So I just found some random people that I was following on Instagram and was like, Hey, can I come and shadow you for a couple shoots? Started doing that. Uh, and then honestly it just took off. Like it was uh, Instagram was like a huge, I probably 90% of my so clients were on Instagram. Is this, roughly. What year would this have been? I'm s- uh, let's see. Uh, I didn't know you then. Yeah, it was probably 2017,
1: 20... I think. Oh, so it's fairly recent, like five years ago. Yeah, it was about yeah. five. Yeah,
0: yeah, five years ago. So that's yeah. that's probably it. Yeah, 2017. So Uh, basically, just put put my eggs all in the Instagram basket at that time. Which now, as we are like business coaches, we say like maybe don't put all your eggs in one (laughs) basket. But at the time,
1: hey, but it worked. At the time, it worked for me, and
0: it was just it wasn't a referral network. It wasn't like oh, I have all these friends that are getting married, and it's like that's how it works, which is a lot of I feel like traditional photography businesses are based Mm -hmm. on. But mine was all Instagram, so it was just I would post something, I'd tag the right people. It would be reposted like a hundred times. And so then these random people from Jamaica were seeing it, or these random people from New York or whatever it was, just started reaching out. And it was one of those things where I was just super consistent. And I made it a very um like personal brand. So yeah. I didn't make it very corporate. I was like, okay, I want people to hire me just for my like. I'm really candid. Like I was very candid with my clients. I wanted to become like their friend for the day, not just their mm. photographer. And so I think a lot of people really resonated with that and it just, yeah, ended up snowballing and it's almost hard to pinpoint exactly what did it. But yeah, I just tried to like make She's it consistent. as personal as possible yeah. and would just consistently She's chipped away consistent. and It just kind of took off.
1: So I know the strategy changes about every 14 minutes on Instagram, (laughs) etc. Absolutely. But um, talk a little bit about the, because both of you have initiative. Both of you, you're not sitting there going, well, I took a picture. Where's the business coming from? Mm -hmm. Um, Talk about like your strategy of tagging and reaching out to people. Uh, I'm Mm -hmm. sure the tagging wouldn't work the same way today. Mm -hmm. uh, Mm -hmm. But talk about some of the principles and even how you reached out to people christy and Mm -hmm. said hey because that would still work theoretically oh yeah
0: i think i think the old school ways of cold calling and reaching out is the way to build a great business even now right Mm. i don't think it's all just like oh i did the right hashtag and so now my business is going to blow up like I, um, worked with this brand. I remember at the beginning of my photography, that moment I sat down and said, I'm going to give myself six months. I also wrote like, here's some brands that would be like dream brands to work with. And one of them, uh, was anthropology. I was like, Mm. okay, I'd love to work for anthropology, which if you are a woman or maybe you have a wife, you know, it's this big brand and they've got a wedding line called beholden. Mm. And I remember just being like, if I could work with that brand, that would be such a dream. And I remember I was shooting a lot of brides that were were wearing their dresses. And so every single time I would tag the Beholden brand in every single post where there was a bride wearing that dress. Even
1: though, oh, but then it was like a Beholden dress? Yes, yeah, so if all, they wore Yeah, okay. these brides
0: were wearing this dress. And so I'd constantly tag them. I'd be posting on my story if I was at a wedding being like, oh, I'm so excited to shoot this Beholden dress. Like I just kept <laughs> like pounding on their Instagram door <sighs> essentially. And then one day after probably like, two years they reached out and they said hey christy we've seen like you post so much about us like we're doing this uh big shoot in napa valley and we want to do a whole weekend and we want you to be our photographer for our next campaign and our line of new dresses and i was like oh, my jaw just dropped yeah. and i was not like, not a bad
2: place to have to go no no <laughs> that's pretty cool but
0: the slow chipping away at relational equity online is huge and so mm. if that that kind of law of reciprocation, like I'm giving so much to this brand or whatever it is, another client, mm. like giving them value first, I think is always, always the best way to go. Um, because again, so many people, especially I feel like artists have this idea of like, well, my art is so great. That should be speaking for itself. And it's mm-hmm. like, no, it's you, the typical. you speak for yourself and you give your value first and then you see what comes back. And it tends to be pretty good.
1: How do you deal with the delay? I mean, it's funny. People think I'm sponsored by Big Green Egg and I've tagged them probably (laughs) 500 times and they've never reached out to me once. And if they did, I'm like, hey, that's my hobby. Like, okay, you want to send me a free cover? That's awesome. Like, that'd be great. But like, I'm not going to go about becoming a barbecue guy. But this was your career. So how do you deal with the fact that you have been appropriately, and I would assume with some level of emotional intelligence, tagging this beholden dress from Anthropology Mm. for two years... R- dead silence, nothing.
0: Yeah, yeah. Were
1: you disappointed or you're like, no, I'm playing the long game or how? would I, I never talk? in
0: a million years thought they would ever reach out to me. Okay. Joey has a okay. natural confidence inside him. I feel like I have a natural <laughs> skepticism. Like, oh, yeah. So I was pleasantly yeah. surprised. But I think to deal with that, I think it's having multiple irons in the fire. I think having mm. so many things that you're getting excited about that could happen, that the delay doesn't matter because each delay is going to be a different amount of time so that mm-hmm. something's hopefully clicking yeah. every Frequently, yeah. right? Something's staggered. Something's yeah. happening consistently because you yeah. are pursuing so many options. That's why we, when we tell people they're trying to work with brands, we're like, great, reach out to 10. Like, don't just read mm. it after the one. Reach out to 10 and hopefully one will work, right? Right.
1: Yeah. So you didn't put it all in the anthropology basket. No,
0: no, but- it ended up clicking and that was great. But then there's other brands that I was tagging all the time, never heard from them. So it's kind of mm-hmm, one of those things mm-hmm. where sometimes it clicks and sometimes it doesn't.
1: So I want to talk before we we uh, move on from personal narratives, but you yeah. did love being a pastor's kid. Yeah. And that is such a rare story.
0: Yeah. yeah. You have
1: a vibrant faith, a great relationship with your mom and dad today. Mm-hmm. What were some things that went right oh, in your Oh, that's a great childhood?
0: question. I think there's two different things um, at play in not having a negative experience when Mm. it comes to being a pastor's kid. Obviously, not not everything was perfect by far, but I think there's two things at play. One was our church. Like my parents both came from non-Christian homes. Like not just just like, oh, they went to church, but it wasn't a big part of their life. It was like they got like... (laughs) persecuted for their faith when they became christians like from their family like they were not it was not a supported thing at all so they didn't grow up with like the oh the christian family does this it was kind of like <laughs> i remember them telling us that they sat down with some of their christian friends and they're like so being a christian and like having a family like what does it even look like trying to get like tips and things so i actually think that was such a positive thing because there wasn't this sense of like expectation on us because i I didn't even know what my parents' expectations would be on us with that. And mm-hmm. I think the way they brought that so much into the church culture. Cause I think a lot of people feel wounded by the church as a pastor's kid. Mm-hmm. Not even maybe they have a great relationship with their parents, but for some reason the church felt like it was pulling them back. Mm-hmm. And I feel like Bayside and like my family and the way my parents are wired is very much they, it's not a church that like holds you back. It's really trying to push you forward. Hmm. And that's very much their mentality, especially my dad. He has such like a dreamer mentality, a visionary mentality maximizer that I felt challenged in church rather than like needing to be buttoned up. Like, Hmm. I think that's where a lot of times it goes wrong with pastor's kids is that they feel like, oh, you're not allowed to say that at church or you're not allowed to wear that. You're not allowed to do this. And I felt like at church, it was almost like we're being challenged and pushed and like what's possible for you in your life that I felt like I had to like show up and get excited and be like moving forward because things were moving and shaking in my church. So it wasn't this traditional like stuffy church, uh, experience. And so I think that was one key piece in that it being a positive experience. And then secondly, like my parents make it like so easy to love them because they just try so hard with us. And they never, I never felt like I was second to the ministry. Like Mm. I never felt like, I was like in the background and we kind of got the scraps of my dad's time. Mm. Like he made it, he did everything he could to be at every like baseball game, soccer game, whatever it was, some dumb play we'd be in. He would be there. He would fly <laughs> back early from a conference or he'd, every single time. Like if I called him right now and he's in a board meeting, he would pick up, pick up like 100 yeah. percent would pick up. So I think when you have that, like my, I, I just I've always viewed my dad as my dad, not my pastor. Mm. So mm. I think that was like the biggest two components to having just a normal relationship with your parents that yeah. you actually love.
1: Joey, you've got a funny meeting story too, involving yeah. LAX, how the yeah. two of you met. Yeah. Oh, so yeah,
2: you want to, you want to tell us, give us the uh, nutshell version. Yeah, of it? It's so just fun. I was flying uh, home from Los Angeles. I was going, there was a, there was a season of my life between probably, uh, 18 to 21 where I was going to LA quite a bit, had some clients there and I was in some business masterminds and different communities out there, which was so helpful for me. Um, and I was flying home from that one time and I was in the LAX airport security line, minding my own business, totally alone. Uh, but I kept walking past this girl. I was like, Oh, that's the most American looking girl I've ever seen in my life. I, American I, still don't, I still don't know what She doesn't means. fully know. I don't, I don't know really know how to describe that. But, um, I was like, for some reason she just looks really American. And I kept noticing that and that's, it's always a funny part of the story, but all of a sudden I'm standing in line and I'm pushing my, my backpack through the, uh, the TSA little section there. And, um, I get a tap on the shoulder and I turn around and it's the American girl. And I went, Oh my gosh. And she said, Hey, like, is that a camera bag? And I said, yeah, it's a camera bag. She said, Oh, I'm a photographer. Are you a photographer? I said, yeah. We conversed for like 10 seconds about it. And then I said, well, I'll show you the bag on the other side because it's gone. It's already in the machine, right? So we got to the other side of security. I showed her the bag really quick and um, we kind of just exchanged. I said, hey, I, I bought the bag in uh, in Kira, New Zealand, uh, Australia, not New Zealand. And I said, I have no idea where you can buy it, but I know what the bag's called. Let me look it up and I'll send it to you. So I sent it to her on Instagram and we kind of just stayed in touch really loosely, really loosely for another maybe six, six-ish months. Um, And then I was back in LA after that uh, about six months later and she was in LA as well for something and we went on a hike and the rest is history. So pretty crazy. Yeah. It's wild to think about.
0: Never know who you meet in the airport. I I just
2: don't let her tap anybody on the shoulder anymore when we're in the airport.
0: Yeah. That's my one and only camera back.
2: (laughs) Do you think he was the most
1: Canadian looking guy you'd ever seen, Christy?
0: Absolutely. I still don't know what looking like American is, but I'll take it as a Uh compliment.
2: (laughs) It is definitely a compliment.
1: Yeah. So... Uh, you've got a burgeoning career. You've got a a successful career. The two of you meet. You get married. And then you did something that I think is very, very rare. You kind of merged your businesses. Hmm.
0: Okay, so Carrie, we actually merged our businesses within like two weeks of dating.
1: Three weeks. Whoa. (laughs) Okay, so I got the
2: chronology wrong. Within a few weeks of dating... Yeah, Yeah, basically. We started dating February 11th of 2020. Um, I did two trips... Uh, three trips from, from February 11th to uh, March 12th. I did three trips down to see her. So border patrol was going, What the heck are you doing? Like you were just here three days ago. What are you doing? So it was a crazy time. I was just like, oh, I'm going to the beach. Well, I can't say that because they don't want you to know well, you have you a, there's no that. relational thing, right? Or else border patrol will be like, we're not going to let you in. Cause they don't want you to come in and get married as a Canadian going to the States. Yeah. So I just would say, Oh, I'm going to the beach or whatever. So anyways, um, we, uh, We, yeah, meet. I knew we were going to get married ASAP. Took it a little bit longer, but uh, COVID hits and we were both. You could say leaders in our in, in our different respective creative industries. I was in the brand world, in the commercial space, she was in the wedding space at the time. And uh all these people start freaking out because they're all service providers who are losing their jobs, right? And so uh I thought I had some solutions. She had some great solutions. And we had, we both had different communities in those spaces and we brought them together. Um, and at the time I was running Creative Rise, which is what we will 85% of what we do now. And she had just started this thing called home team where she She was going, we're all at home. Let's be a team. Let's get online each day and talk about these things.
0: Yeah, I basically went online and said like, okay, I know everyone's freaking out. This is at the very beginning. Like they had just locked us down. And I was like, okay, Mm. I want to use this time to ramp up. Like, I don't want this to be like, we're all taking our time off. I want to actually use this to like grow our businesses in this time, who's with me. And within like 24 hours, we had like, 1500 people on an email list. Like, that's so insane. excited. Yeah, it was crazy. Well, so I was telling how, her, I'm like,
2: you don't understand how insane that is. Cause it was our first time doing like, something, something like gonna that.
0: We're for free. Like, we're just yeah. gonna like host these people. Bring I'm like, if you could have monetized and, that, you would so That's
2: <laughs> like how I'm thinking. So, anyways, we start doing things together and, uh, I, this is very controversial, I think, for a lot of people in in, the, in their own marriages. Um, it was one of the best things we could have ever done for a relationship because I think yeah. it forced us to have crucial conversations or critical conversations. Even if they were about yeah. work, it forced us to learn how to have confrontation in a healthy way and understand each other's conflict styles quickly and how to... Take a back seat when the other one needs to lead, and how to you know vice versa, which is something we both needed to learn because we were both fiercely independent and and very solo. We're flying solo, so it was it was really good, I think, for our relationship. COVID lockdown happens, we didn't get to see each other for five months. So We've been dating for three weeks, um, and and so <laughs> but yes. this work thing, you know, we were so, we were working with each other all day because we were trying to help creatives get through the pandemic, uh, and I think it was phenomenal for our relationship, and it's been phenomenal ever since. I will never not work with her because she has so, so many things I don't have. And I think vice versa. And uh, more importantly, I think she sharpens me in ways that I really need to be sharpened in our, you know, non-work relationship in our marriage. But I think that also carries into our working relationship. And I think we're both better for it. So Yeah, yeah. What would you add to that?
0: Yeah. I would say, um, with Joey being naturally confident and then I would say with myself being naturally like six Enneagram six skeptical, I feel like there are so many entrepreneurial nudges I had growing up. Like, I think I was born very like wanting to build things, wanting to like take that action and take fast action on things, but often stopping myself being like, ah, but I don't know if I can really do it. Like, I don't know. You know, those like internal like critic uh, comes out. And I feel like us working together, Joey has been like, such a champion he like if you know him and if you've ever been like talk to him about anything he his favorite thing in the world is championing other people mm. so I feel like I'm like when I get like the front row seat to that working together and so I would say that there are a hundred percent challenges but I'm like there's no challenge that we can't work through to get through it together. What so, have
1: been some of the challenges ooh, in working together?
0: Ooh. Well, okay. So we both are a little bit visionary. Like it's not like one of us is totally the integrator. Right. Or yes. Integrator yes. is the right word, yeah. right? Integrator, integrator yeah. and one person's like the dominant, like this is where we're going. So I feel like we have butted heads more than a fair share of times on kind of direction of things and things like that. But So
1: break that down. How do you get through that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because my parents work together. And oh. I always Tony and I, my wife and I, we met in law school. And I said we could never work together, and now we're working together. <laughs> yeah. But it's working yeah, out yeah. great. Yes. So I'm like, like a I'm real, real student, student of this. There's a lot of people who are like, I'm working with my spouse, and there's a
2: lot of people who are like, I don't know whether I ever could. So what? Yeah. Whatever. I've got a good answer for
0: go this. Go for it. Okay,
2: Carrie, you you did a whole series on the Enneagram at Conexus. Uh-huh. That was. I think I've told you this. I think I told you that. This is one of the first times we probably interacted. I think I came up to you after one of those yeah, services. Yeah, I think but that's around the time that we met. that entire series changed my life because up until then, and still most days, and I have to be checked on this. I think that the way I view the world, the Enneagram Eight Way, is the only way to view the world. Oh, that's correct. Right? Yeah. It is correct. That is correct. So then, uh, when you marry a six yeah. and work with a six uh-huh. every day, I think <laughs> we bet we butt heads. And I would say my my fall in working together is probably more often than not thinking that my way is. Always the right way. Well, this copy it has to be this way because I know. it. And then she goes, "Well, I know as well."
0: And I go, well, "No, you're wrong." But then I go, "Wait, no, she's not wrong." You know. So I
2: think there's probably a lot of micro examples of that. Whether it's about podcast content that we're writing for our podcast, whether it's about uh, you know the 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 way we visualize a new product that we're building. Yeah, you know, you know, the way we treat people who work on our team. Like, there's so many different things where we naturally. Just have different worldviews that shape the way that we interact with those with those subjects. So, so I got to ask this, yeah, because you're still young
1: and you you haven't burned out or anything like that in mm-hmm. the years of wisdom. How do you not? How how do you get open to a different point of view, Joey? Like, why do you not just try to steamroller Christy, which is a typical Enneagram Eight thing? Which, as an Eight, so, a
2: fellow Eight, I yes. can relate to. <laughs> yes, I'm a good steamroller. Yes, so. Phenomenal steamroller. She is so great at stopping the steam train. So she's she's probably a lot of a lot of uh, what would be able to stop me. So I would like to say, oh, I'm I'm able to see it in myself and I can pump the brakes. But yeah. no, she uh, there's just a lot of times. Well, she'll give it to me straight and say, hey, you said this. That's not how I know you wanted to say it, nor how you think you should say something like that. And you know, I I need to check you on that. And I go, oh, okay, I can I can kind of take that back. So she's a great. Uh, she's a great companion to help me temper the things I need to temper, and also cheer on the things that I need to be cheered on for. So. I think it's a lot of um, it's a lot of push and play. I've definitely messed that up a ton of times. That's like a daily thing for me, you know, where I'm going, ooh, I could be a little bit softer there, or I should have said that softer. Um, it's been so helpful. She's been phenomenally yeah. helpful in helping me learn how to, how to not always be right. <laughs> well, I,
0: I love eights because I'm always like, they're not afraid for confrontation. And I actually, right. and I don't know what this is, if the Enneagram has any, Info on the six, but I feel like I'm not afraid of confrontation and especially with him. And so Mm -hmm. I think I love it because I can come to him and be like, hey, we need to work this out. And it seems like we just vibe in that. So I think that that's Hmm. been really, really great. And I think a lot of it is checking your ego at the door, which is very hard for me. I Uh think I, I love validation. So I think when we do have those like conflict oriented conversations, when it's something on my end and it's like, oh, this didn't come up to par or whatever it is. I think it's such and it's still such a learning experience. But I realize a lot of our like arguments around work are just surrounded by my ego. Rather than something that's actually like wrong between us working together. So if I can check my ego and go, okay, best idea wins, not best person wins, then I go, okay, we can actually move forward and have a thriving business. And
2: a great, something great about her personality is I think I'm always right, but I think a lot of things that I think I'm always right aren't, aren't actually right. They're just maybe the quickest thing. And I think mm. I'm, I'm such a. Let's just keep going. If I can just keep going and keep the momentum up, we're going to succeed somehow. And there's probably a lot of truth to that. But I think uh, where she comes in, she go. Well, why don't we slow it down and let's talk about that? And I go. Well, no, no, no. You're just wrong. So I think <laughs> I think her personality he going. Well, why don't we go way, on a walk for ten minutes and talk about this? Yeah. That's so. That's been one of our favorite things to do when we feel like we're getting into some kind of conflict about work. We're just let's just go on a walk. We live in California. It's always beautiful. Yeah. Let's go on a walk outside. And I think her her natural. You know, inclination to slow things down and slow down conversation, slow down conflict to actually find a great answer rather than just finding the the quickest answer, which I think deep down is probably what I do most often. Yeah. I don't find the right, right. answer all the time. I just find the quickest thing. Um, that's just so it's been really helpful and something that I can take into, I think, a lot of areas. Of well, and a
1: credit to both of you. I mean, you're young and you were both successful in your own right. So it'd be very easy for either of you to adopt a, no, I'm right. And you're wrong. Right. And I know my, this is my field. Don't mess with me. Yeah, um, Let's talk about branding because uh, Creative Rise, you do a couple of different things. You do some brand therapy, but you also uh, work with entrepreneurs. I, I want to start with branding. So, Um, You helped my company Mm -hmm. uh, about a year and a half ago Mm -hmm. through a branding exercise that was incredibly clarifying because this was a hobby 10 years ago that turned Mm -hmm. into a thing, Mm -hmm. that turned into what I do all the time. Mm -hmm. And you know it's really confusing because I wish I could say that there was a grand plan and, oh yeah, one day we're going to. There's none of that. It just kind of happened. And Mm -hmm. then here you are in the midst of it. What am I actually doing? Um, On the macro level, what are some principles of branding that if you get these things right in today's environment, things tend to go well? And then we'll talk about the mistakes that you keep seeing people make again and again.
2: Yeah, that's a great question. I think there's so many things that we always... Uh, look over when it comes to branding, because branding is, as we've defined and we've told you, you know, we, we walked through this with your team and the exercise, it's just how you're experienced, right? Mm -hmm. It's everything. It's not just your logo. It's not just your colors, not just your fonts. It's, it's everything. It's how someone feels when they interact with a piece of text, uh, the podcast meeting you in person, it's everything. So I think some, some fundamental stuff that, um you do really well and and other brands that do well do is it's not about you. Mm. The Carrie Newhoff company, the Art of Leadership Academy, whatever it is, it's not about Carrie. It's about the people you guys serve. And I think yeah, it is. Well, and I think I think that's where a lot of people go wrong is is they think, well, the brand's got to be about me. I've got to somehow make it about myself. And personal brand specifically, they really struggle with this. Mm-hmm. And so I think if you can get really clear on, um, I always start with problems, right? Because the only reason why you exist as a company is to solve a problem of some yeah. sort. So. I think a brand, if you can center your brand around a common evil, you know, if you can really associate yourself with an evil, uh, something you're up against in the world, that's yeah. what we talked about in brand therapy when we did it with you guys. Is a lot of entrepreneurs go, well, I want to push away from problems because we just have solutions and, you know, we're good and everything we do works. We don't want to talk about all the problems in the world. But I go, no, you've got to really, really get close, draw near to the problems that you see in the world. If your company was a person and walking down the street, what things would it look at and go, ah, it doesn't have to be that way, yeah. you know, and how can we do something about it? Right. Um, and so I think if you can shape a brand around that, start with a problem and then go, okay, now what's our methodology? How do we design a methodology for people to interact with an experience in order to help them take them from A to B? And then I think uh, the last part of any good brand is just the result, right? How do we reverse engineer? How do we, you know, um, make sure we get the outcomes we want for the people? And how is that a very clear pillar of our brand? Not only do we get people there, but we also talk about it. I think that's one of the things we talked about with you. I was like, Carrie, you should really talk more about the people that are you know, having success through the Leadership Academy or pre-Leadership Academy, through the podcast, like talk more about the results people are getting, right? So- uh, I think those three things make up a brand story. It's what's the problem? What's the methodology that your brand is going to be built around in order to, the vehicle that's going to take them to the solution. And then what is the solution? What, what happens to their lives? You know, what, what do they experience? How does life change once that, when they've interacted with that brand in some capacity? So I think those three things are really fundamental. And those are the foundations of any really, really great brand. If you can get really clear on that, I think the rest is uh, puzzle pieces that just seem to be uh, easy to find on the table. Christy, what are some of the
1: um, branding mistakes you see companies make over and over
0: again? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think the main one, and Joey touched on it, is having it be all about yourself. And I think Mm -hmm. that manifests in a lot of different ways. A lot of people will just talk about their founder. A lot of people Mm -hmm. talk about like, oh, here's why we started our thing. And it's not others focused. I think that can also come in ways of just talking about your services. And this is a huge problem in marketing, is people just talking about what they do. Right? Mm -hmm. it's Even if they're talking about the solution, they're talking about it in a way, in a service oriented way, rather than an others focused transformation way. So I think as soon as you can go, and and I think when we're saying it's about others, it doesn't disclude you. Like when we did brand therapy with you, Carrie, one of my favorite parts of the entire brand therapy was when you actually started tearing up because you were talking about why you started it in the very mm-hmm. first place. And you're talking about your heart for young leaders. And you're talking right. about your experience of somebody else. I think scholarshiping you and your wife into going to a conference, being able to actually learn and move forward. And you were choking up. And I was like, yeah. this is the coolest thing to see the heart of why someone starts something. Mm-hmm. So I would say your brand needs to also connect with the heart of the why. And the mm-hmm. why being so important and so crucial to everything mm-hmm. that you do. And when you get the why right and you get uh, the pieces of like the methodology down and you can then align your whole team, I think that's when branding and marketing and all that stuff becomes fluid rather than disjointed. Because I think a lot of teams feel very disjointed. They feel like, OK, the social team is like talking about this because it's a trend. And then we've got the people <laughs> that are actually doing the products in this side. Or we have like the pastors on stage talking about this and everyone's disjointed. Everyone has all their different opinions and nothing is moving forward in alignment. And I think great branding and great action on branding and branding is when everything's actually aligned, which is why we do what we do.
1: Yeah. And, you know, it's so mission driven. Which yeah. should resonate mm-hmm. with most of the leaders who yeah. listen to this podcast, and it's so funny, you know. I, I, I hadn't thought about it from branding perspective. The reason I started this podcast was a very similar vibe to why I'm doing what I'm doing now. Mm-hmm. You know, it was I was starting to go into the speaking circuit. You'd be in a green room, you know how it goes. Yeah. Yeah. You have these amazing conversations uh-huh. with people, and I would always leave going. Oh, I wish my staff could have heard that. Yeah. I wish the elders could have heard that. Sometimes yeah. I wish my wife, I wish everybody could have heard mm-hmm. that. Yeah. And, you know, I'd been a podcast listener for years and I thought, well, I'm just going to try to bring those conversations to the world. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's part of what makes this tick. Like you and I, we oh. have spent a lot of time together off mic, mm-hmm. you know, in California, here in Canada, mm-hmm. uh, on the road, et cetera. And I'm like, I want to bring this conversation to the world. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's fun, but that's a problem to solve, right? Exactly. Right. Yep. And so if you're thinking about, and if you don't have a problem to solve, do you ever have that where, uh, you know, you're dealing with a leader and
2: they don't even know what problem they're solving? All,
0: yeah. all the time. I yeah. Yeah. That's yeah.
2: Quite, yeah. It's quite popular. Yeah. Or I think even worse, this is probably one of the main things I see leaders dealing with is they know what problem they solve, but they have no idea how to actually communicate that to the rest of the team, right? Mm. And I think that's where so many organizations mm. get stunted is they go, the leaders, are like, oh, I, I know what we're doing, and I know what problem we're solving. If everyone else could just get it, right, <laughs> and right, it's like, right, well, right. you have no framework for how you actually talk about how you guys solve that problem. No wonder they don't get it, right? And so I think mm-hmm. that's what that's the that's what's so fun about our job is we get to step into organizations and go, okay, you might get it, but nobody else does. How do we how do we make sure every single person here gets it, and not only gets it but feels empowered by it to the point where they they know how they're a part of it and they know how they can push it forward. And so, yeah. yeah. I think, I think both of those things. Sometimes leaders don't quite know. And sometimes when they do know, they very, very often don't know how to communicate it in a proper way to, to rally everybody around it. Yeah. So when you think about, because uh, we have a lot of church leaders and a lot of the
1: business leaders who listen to this are involved at their local church. So we'll just pick on the church for a minute. When you, we, if, if the church had a, a marketing or a branding problem, and I know those are separate things, how would you define it? It would be like, oh, if I could just like stroke of the pen change this in most churches I'm seeing, Mm. what would that stroke of the pen involve? What do you wish churches would just get and Mm. change?
2: Yeah, there's probably quite a few of them. You might have a different answer than I do. Um, My answer would probably be similar to what Christy was just talking about, but they they all just look like commodities. Like a church is a commodity, right? There's different where we're from in, in the States, there's one every couple hundred feet, it seems like on yeah. some streets, right? And so I think I think a lot of churches struggle with going They're so commoditized. commoditized. They're like I don't. They get into this this routine of getting so focused on metrics, so focused on tactical stuff that I think it pulls a lot away from some of the more emotional and spiritual stuff that they're really there to do. But I think it all stems from the issue of looking the same as everybody else because they don't know how to communicate maybe why they're different. And the way you communicate why you're different is communicating why you exist, right? And I think a lot of churches don't know how to talk about why they exist. They just talk about what they do, right? I'll ask a pastor. I'll say so. You know why do you guys do what you do? And they say, "Well, to build disciples. I'm like, well, that's not why you do what you do. that's what you do, yeah. right And they go, "Oh yeah, you know, and they go, well, is that a problem?" I say, yeah, you've got to have something yeah. a little bit a little bit more a little bit deeper maybe that that's more inviting for somebody, so a great example of that would be if you know you get up on stage in in the morning and you're preaching and you say, "Hey, welcome to church or let's say you're a greeter and you're getting up on stage or whatever um." you call that person that gets up and welcomes people and they go, hey, welcome to throwing, this is a random church name uh, that I actually used when we did this this teaching for the Art of Leadership Academy. This is not a real church or it's probably a real church, but not one that I'm referring to. Hey, welcome to Gateway Church. Uh, we're so glad you're here. At Gateway Church, we have multiple services. We build disciples and we've got a good kids program. We're so glad you're here. Enjoy the service versus somebody getting up on stage and saying, "Hey, welcome to Gateway Church. We totally exist. Everything you're going to see in the next hour and 15 minutes is because we fundamentally believe that a relationship with Jesus changes your life. Can change the foundation of your family, it can create a brighter future. And so we just want to invite you into that. If you're if you're new to that, welcome. If you're, you know, you're old to that, you've been doing that for a long time, welcome. We're so glad you're here. Those are drastically different communication styles talking about why they are there that morning, and I think people in the in the congregation are going to have radically different responses to that. And so, that's an example of somebody talking from the stage. But I think when you actually break that down on a micro level, across social platforms, across uh, you know events, uh, anything that a church does, it creates a lot of confusion when you don't know how to talk about why you exist. That's probably the number one. It's a little bit of a long answer to get there. That's probably the number one thing that I see churches doing wrong. And that bleeds, if I can go a little bit deeper, that bleeds not only that, it doesn't, a lot of churches might have that figured out on the top level, but they don't know how to actually communicate that to everybody in the organization to a point where they can then communicate that externally. The biggest thing about a brand is a brand, the best brands in the world are so clear internally, all the way down to the guy who sweeps the floors that externally, it just comes off so, so uh, full and, and you can experience it in the full. Right. And I think that's where a lot of churches have problems. The, the pastor knows what's going on and he knows why they exist. But, you know, if you work your way down the chain, call it, um, people don't know how to communicate that. And I think that's where the, the experience for people across the board gets broken. Well, and you end up with churches talking about themselves. Yeah. A lot. Yes. Well, when you don't know how to talk about why you do what you do, uh, cause why you do what you do shouldn't actually be about you. It should always be about the other person. Absolutely. And so yeah. when you don't know how to talk about why you do what you do, you talk about what you do and, yeah. and that's yeah. not great. You know? right. Christy,
1: what would you say to churches? How would you wave the magic wand and change the marketing?
0: Yeah. Yeah. So I, <laughs> Joey and I are actually talking about this uh, a little bit earlier, but I have like this, I don't know if it's a bone to pick or something, but there is like, there's a trend where people follow trends to a T. So they go, okay, we need like a new marketing strategy. So we're just going to follow whatever the next big church is doing. Or we're just going to follow what Elevation is doing or Hillsong or uh. whatever it is. And it's it's this like almost replacing, um, like using Tylenol on something that needs surgery, right? You're mm. like, you can't just slap mm. a great filter or a good line, a good ad copy that you basically like copy and pasted from sermon somebody series. else or a sermon series title, whatever it is it needs to be coming from why you do what you do and why you're there. And it's not, I think I think the Tylenol aid of, well, if we can just get enough attention with something that looks cool, the problem is that might bring people in the door, but it's not gonna keep them. You'll have critics yeah. rather than- a real congregation, I think.
1: Trends seem to have really accelerated on social media lately. Everything mm-hmm. yes. from, I don't even know what to call it because I don't do it. I just see it on my feed all the time. But you know where you're using some movie soundtrack or whatever and you're just kind of voicing yeah. over top of that. Mm-hmm. Or like, and it changes every few months.
0: Oh, absolutely.
1: Comments on that. What are the strengths yeah. and what are the weaknesses of yeah. trend jacking?
0: Yeah, so trend jacking is interesting. Um, It can get you a lot of views. It can get, which... Some people would say, Hey, there's no bad press. Like getting enough mm-hmm. attention is great. However, I would say, look at your metrics. So if you're just getting views, right. great. But if it's not actually turning into, if you're a business clients or mm-hmm. if you're a church continued attendance or whatever baptisms, your metrics, baptisms, yeah. whatever it is, small <laughs> groups, et cetera, then it's fluff, right? Views right. Are fluff. And you want it to be something that your, your inherent brand and everything is so aligned that. If you get a lot of views, but it's not the right thing you're talking about. Well, we talk about this sometimes with people um, who've blown up on TikTok recently. And he says, well, this one girl posted this like crazy uh, video where she was swimming with this whale. It was almost like National Geographic like she got like 20 million views, but the rest of her account was about something else. So she didn't get any followers. Mm -hmm. So it's like you can get views, but if you don't get true followers of your brand, of your company, whatever it is, then it's fluff in my opinion. No, that's
1: a really good point because the videos show up on my feed all the time. And you're like, I know this one guy who like did a drum solo and got like six million views or whatever. But his life didn't change at all. Mm -hmm. Yeah, It's like, okay, so you had six million views. Nobody knows who you are. Mm -hmm. It's like, you know, I'm not a DIY guy. Mm -hmm. I always have a guy who does stuff. But when I do DIY and I'm on YouTube and I'm like, you know, how to change a furnace filter or whatever it happens mm-hmm. to be. I'm on some guy who shows me how to change a furnace filter, but like, I don't subscribe. No, exactly, I don't, yeah. I don't start, I'm not his best friend. I don't yeah. buy his product. Yeah. I'm like you, 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 and you you help me and 9 million other guys who don't yeah. know how to yeah. do anything. Mm-hmm. It's a one-way Thank relationship. It's a one-way relationship. Yeah. And I think yeah. we
2: forget that as. Leaders. So I think that's the key right there. I think when churches uh, really try and buy into the trends and I'll even just pull back for a second. If you do not have a really clear, we call it a brand identity. So internal characteristics of your brand that you can live externally. If you don't have any of that and you're aiming to hit trends, then as Christy said, it kind of feels a little bit hollow. It can feel like a shell of something. I think. So my opinion on the trends, Christy was like, oh, I'm not a huge fan of them. I think trends can be great, but it's a secondary thing, right? Because if if you don't have all the other stuff, the brand identity solid and a a consistent message going out, the second you start to try trends, like you said, it it just turns into a one-way relationship because there's no other intrinsic value or something to chew on for people, right? And I think in the long run, I think that can really hurt. Uh, That can really hurt and it's a huge waste of time. Mm -hmm. It's a huge waste of a church budget to put somebody on, hey, go find Trends for six hours a day and it never does anything for you, you know? So, Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. No, that's really good. And, you know, that kind
1: of morphs nicely into the other thing I wanted to talk to you guys about, which is really you coach a lot of young entrepreneurs in the digital space, whether that's photography, but people who are trying to make a living online. Got a lot of those people listening right now. And they tend to be under 30 or definitely under 40. Mm -hmm. They tend to have some kind of traction, but they're trying to build traction. And that's another recurring theme on this podcast that I love coming back to. A lot of people want to be known online, but they don't have anything to be known for, Mm -hmm. right? In other words, I don't actually know what I'm doing. So talk about the work that you do with young entrepreneurs and the masterminds that you run. What are some keys to actually developing something Meaningful and successful online?
2: Mm. Yeah, great question. So, a lot of the people that we work with are very left brained, very creative. Uh, and so, what we do is we just try and help them engage the part of the right brain that they don't engage often, right? So, some of the tactical stuff. Um, and I think, I think it kind of comes down to that. One of the biggest things that I think when people, when we see people really take off and do well, whether it's people we're watching from afar or mm. the the tons of people that we get to actually guide, the people who do well are people that really, really fundamentally finally understand how to be a problem solver. And we've talked about this mm. a ton on the podcast. I've used that word a ton, but um, I feel like I've got a book in me somewhere down, down in my future yeah. about that. Yeah. But I think it's when people go, okay, I'm trying to make it and yes, if you're going to be known for something, you want to be known for for being against something. Well, I'm right. against this problem, right? Carrie, right. you're against, you know, leaders being underdeveloped and burning out. out, you know, you're you're, I mean, you're against leaders ruining organizations they're unders- or yeah. because they're, they're underdeveloped and they're they're under supported, all of that stuff, right? That's what you're against. And so I think when we see people, whether they're photographers, social media strategists, you know, social media managers, filmmakers, graphic designers, all the people that we help across the board in that underneath that kind of creative um, one label that we throw on it, I think the yeah the the big thing that gives people momentum is they finally go, okay, I'm not a creative, I'm a problem solver. I'm not a photographer. I'm someone who shows up on your wedding and captures your the best day of your life in the way you want it to be captured. So you can relive it every day of your life. Yeah. You so look what at is the photos. problem for a wedding photographer? That's a great yeah. example. The problem bad is, capture. The, so there's yeah. a lot. There's the, the very, there's different types of problems, right? There's external problems. There's internal problems. There's philosophical oh, yeah. problems. Yeah. So it's like the external problem for a wedding photographer would be, well, they don't have wedding photos, right? Mm-hmm. So you got to hire someone to come give you your wedding yeah. photos. Yeah. The internal problem might be, um, I'm, I'm actually worried that I'm not going to be able to connect with my photographer on the day. Therefore, I'm going to feel uncomfortable in front of the camera. And therefore, my wedding photos are going to be something I look back on and go, I look really uncomfortable. I don't enjoy these photos. Yeah, That might be the internal problem, right? Mm-hmm. And then the philosophical problem could be something that's a lot deeper than that, you know. And so I think when you start teaching these very, again, left brain people, some of these more tactical um, approaches to things like that, uh, yeah, it can get really cool and they get really excited because they go, whoa, I'm not just showing up and clicking a camera, I'm actually completely revolutionizing how this bride is gonna feel in the moment of all these photos and if I can make that bride feel so cared for and comfortable, no matter what the photos actually look like, she's gonna love the photos for the rest of her life because she just sees the moment when she looks at them, right? Mm So.
0: And that, and that's why you're able to charge a premium is because you've then connected with the heart rather than just being a commodity by offering the same service as everybody else. Yeah. Right. So, so that's if it's where you a, can scale things.
1: You avoid the race to the bottom. Yep. Again, quoting yep. Seth Godin, right? Because yep. you can always find somebody cheaper to shoot mm-hmm. your Absolutely. wedding. Absolutely. So let's talk about that as a model. I think we had Jasmine Starr on here and she talked about oh, that awesome. as well because yeah. she started as a, as a yes. photographer, right? Mm-hmm. But there is a race to the bottom and that's true with all services. Like, mm-hmm. you know, well... I'll do your wedding for less. Great. Well, I've got an uncle who has a nice DSLR and he'll shoot the wedding for free. Classic. Right. Yes. Classic. Always classic uncle. stuff. <laughs> so when you're, char- I don't even know what it costs to shoot a wedding these days. What's a, what's a high end number to shoot a wedding these
0: days? Oh gosh. Well, it can go, it can go astronomical, but I would say like, a in California, maybe like $5,000 would be like, you have a nice wedding photographer. Definitely not the top. No. Top, top yeah. would be more like eight. Oh. Nine. Okay.
1: So let's say it's eight or $9,000 to great. shoot your wedding. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, I know somebody who can do it for four. What do you say?
0: If I was the eight or nine the eight or nine? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I would say, absolutely. There are people that will shoot your wedding for free. Um, and uh-huh. that's great. And if that's, if that's what you want to do, that's awesome. Um, I would say that my approach is for people who are looking for let's say if we're in the eight or nines, we're talking about more like celebrity clients or influencer, Mm. people that are worried about maybe like privacy, things like that or wanting Mm. that quick turnaround for a magazine, whatever it is. I would say I know that your wedding is something that should be absolutely so personal and it's something that you deserve to be the first one to see those images, be the first one that's going to be having access over what they are and what and what you can control in that scenario and how much you want to remember that day for what it really is. And so I'm going to be there to not only be the day of person, but I'm going to work with you for Two months before, and we're going to develop an inspiration board. We're going to come up with ideas for your wedding so that you can have not only the best day of your life, but also photos that are going to be exactly how okay. you want it to be captured.
1: I put you on the spot 100%. I just want everybody to rewind and listen to what happened. You know what you didn't do? You didn't talk about yourself, you didn't get defensive. You didn't Jeez try you know, to justify my it. This many megapixels, yeah, you did. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
2: Let's talk about
1: that. I've been
0: editing that. for eight years. I've been yeah, editing yeah. for eight years. Yeah. You know? I've won this many awards. Yeah. Blah, blah, blah.
1: yeah, exactly. Do you know who I am? You didn't yeah. play that card. It was like, yeah. well, what you want is I think that is yeah. so yeah. rare in marketing. It's like, it's like my pet peeve. When I teach, I do the Art of Online Influence course. Yeah. And one of the sessions is on do not use the word we, do not use the word I, use the word you. Mm-hmm. Talk about your clients. That's Talk so about the person yep. you're trying to help. You need, you're frustrated, you're stuck. Yep. You had a vacation, you came back more tired than when you left. What do you do with that? Mm-hmm. If yeah. I'm like, I had a vacation and I came back more tired than I, nobody cares about me. Right, I say that right. to my staff all the time. Sometimes when I'm reviewing copy, I'm like, nobody cares about us. Mm. We have to remember that, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. We're here to yeah. serve yeah. the person. Yeah. That's like underscore, they underscore, underscore. <laughs> mm-hmm. okay. Yeah. Okay. So getting noticed, um, other tips for getting noticed online. Uh, We talked about monetization a little bit, but just for the person who's like, I'm still waiting for my breakthrough. Mm -hmm. I think if you you staple this together, if you start to weave it together, better analogy, you know, you got cold calling, Mm -hmm. you've got tagging, you've got patience, Mm -hmm. you've got setting yourself apart, focus on the client, knowing the problem you're going to solve. Mm -hmm. What else for people who want to get noticed?
0: Yeah, I would say one of the main things, and maybe this is just, simple, but it's kind of like niching down to your content. So it's not talking mm. about everything because if you talk about everything, no one's going to listen because mm. it's not directed at somebody. I think you get crystal clear about who you're talking to and what they want to see and, and just repeat, rinse and repeat every single time. You probably only need, let's say if you're a uh, social media manager, if that's your business, you're trying to get companies to give you their socials to run. You talk about five things over and over again, and those five things only. So all you need is to repurpose content that's gonna focus on the stress of having to run your own Instagram all the time and how it's Uh so awful and talk about that problem. Or talk about growth metrics and how what what you guys do in teaming together with um, your clients uh, gives great results. Talk about that. Talk about three other things. And that's all you need to talk about. Mm -hmm. And just give those five things and just rinse and repeat and you'll you'll gain traction.
2: Yeah. A lot of people always talk about niching down, you know, it's like, well, I'm going to niche down into this area of fitness or this area of ministry. And I think we always encourage people, you don't have to necessarily think about niching down in that way, but just niche to a problem, right? Mm -hmm. Like niche to a specific problem. And, And then I think once you have that, Um, that's a very, that's a very, Christy was talking about, you know, content and posting things like that. I think that's great. I think you could go a step further and talk about what that content does. If you want to get traction online, I think you just have to go, how do I be an authority and and be the person who owns the distribution of educating people in this space. Right. And I think that's, that's something you do phenomenally. Right. It's like your podcast is huge. How many episodes have you done where it's just you? Oh, yeah, like five, to Yeah. And so, but it's because you own the distribution of, of knowledge, right, in this space. And so, I think if someone's, uh, let's say they're, you know, in ministry and they're wanting to build their own kind of online ministry, they're feeling like, hey, I want to build a social channel that's going to reach youth uh, the ages of 13 to 17, and I'm just going to start one. Well, it's like, you've got to somehow be you know, consistent enough and um, in enough pockets of people, not pockets as in like getting money, but you got to be in enough areas um, where people <laughs> yeah. where people are going, oh, this person is an authority in this space. And I think the second you become known for giving more than you take and you become known for, well, he's the person that educates me on this. And I think also, uh, we were talking about this earlier today too. Um, Alex Ramosi, I don't know if you know who he oh, is. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been following Love all his way, stuff, way. Yeah. yeah. Thank you, John he's, Acuff for the match. Yeah, he's so smart. But he always says, Uh, you'll always do well if you can do a couple things that surround your offer. But one of them that he talks about that I love is, is cutting the time delay. So it's like, ew, you want to blow up on something. It's how do you cut the time delay between the problem and the solution that people would ever consider listening to you or watching you or liking something, you know, you've posted for. So it's like, okay, if you're going to be, um, Let's go back to that example. You're going to start an online ministry that reaches people 13 to 17. Well, what are their problems and what are the solutions that you have as someone who wants to minister to them? And then how do you create an environment that's going to cut the time delay and make that you know consumption quicker and make that... That problem, you know, disappear faster. So, you know, it's like, how do you just develop a brand and then develop systems? And as we were talking about earlier, what's the methodology to what you do? How can you increase the uh, the uh, the amount of output? I guess your methodology can have and. There's so many different ways we could talk about that, but yeah,
0: and I'll, and a little encouragement if someone feels like, oh shoot, I feel so overwhelmed. How am I going to be an authority? It's really not hard to become an authority no. online. Hmm. You just got to be consistent for about a month or two, and people will days. start thinking you about being that person. Like I'm well. sure, Carrie, people are like, you're the green egg guy.
1: Oh You're yeah, the yeah. Expert on
0: lawns. <laughs> You're the lawn, 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 yeah. lawn yeah. line guy. Like yeah. it's not. Stuff it's not You know. don't even
2: try and
1: necessarily Be the expert. <laughs> no, on, it's right? funny yeah. when you land and it's like oh, it's yeah. like because my life is very un you know uncreative. Mm-hmm. It's like yeah, I'm usually at the big green egg or mowing my lawn when I'm home. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. you know, I love talking to Dave Ramsey about it. One of the questions I was so excited. I thought about this question for years. Is You've talked about the same thing yes. for yeah. three decades. So How do you not get tired of it? You look at his post, Seven Baby Steps, comes up mm. all the time. Those baby steps haven't changed in 25 yeah. years. Yeah. He just talks, and you know what he said? Every day somebody woke, wakes up broke.
0: Mm-hmm. And totally, I get
1: yeah. to show them for the first time. First time. I asked Gary Chapman about this. We spoke at a conference in Edmonton. And he's there, and it's like minus 30 Celsius, which is the same as minus 30 Fahrenheit. Yeah. It's ridiculous. It's, it's yeah. Yeah. You're dead. And I'm like, what is he doing here? And, you know, the Five Love Languages, I think, has sold over 25 million copies. Mm -hmm. I'm like, if I'm Gary's age, and he was well into his 70s, what am I doing in Edmonton in January? You know, he's not even keynoting. Mm -hmm. And he goes, oh, there are people who haven't heard. Mm -hmm. And that's true. There's somebody who bought the Five Love Languages today, and he's still talking about it 30 years after he first wrote it. Mm -hmm. So I think this is really good. Guys, I feel like we could talk. For days, because we do <laughs> talk for days sometimes. <laughs> yes. Uh, but we got to go to dinner. We so, do. yeah, next time, Big Green Egg or the boat or all of yes. the above. All the above. Yeah, we got rained out on the boat. So, hence a podcast episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, anyway, people are going to want to follow you. Tell us about where you are in social these days and also um, Creative Rise, where they can find that.
2: Yeah. So, uh, at Joey Spears, any, any social platform. We're mainly on Instagram and TikTok these yeah. days. Mm. You yeah. are
0: at Christy J Spears. On Instagram and Christy Spears on TikTok, and then at Creative Rise, but there's no E on Creative, Uh yeah, because, creative. Of because of a domain battle.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's a, it's uh, a story uh, for another day. It was a domain race. battle I had for uh, a while. Yeah,
0: back. at Creative Rise, um, but yeah, if you
1: all social platforms yeah.
0: yeah, all social
1: platforms. Awesome guys, thank you so so much. Thank you. Yeah, great convo.
0: Thanks for having us.
1: Well, I know a lot of you are young leaders, and so I want to keep bringing you young leaders on the podcast. Every time I ask Joey how old he is, I'm like a year or two ahead, and uh, that's that's so great, man. I love people who accomplish a lot early on in life. And if you want more, we got show notes for you, including transcripts and all the links mentioned in the episode. You can go to slash five two four. Thanks to our partners, Pro Media Fire wants to help you. Get recession proof. Join them for the recession proof growth strategy webinar. Simply go to promediafire.com/slash recession proof. And you and your church can help provide relief supplies to victims of natural disasters and other global events all over the world. Go to convoyofhope.org slash donate. And they want to make you the hero as the local church leader and obviously help people in need. Next episode, we've got Chad Veach. He is Zoe Church lead pastor and best-selling author. And we even talk preachers and sneakers. Here's an excerpt
3: hey, listen, my only, my biggest beef with this is just please don't ever try and be a celebrity pastor. Mm. Like if you're going for that, if you're going for celebrity, something is something is clinically wrong with you. Like I'm okay if it just lands in your lap and it's like like I, I was a youth pastor for fifteen years in 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 and ten of it was in Seattle. And I loved to pastor high school students. So I'll never forget going to cafeterias and, you know, somehow you, you, you're drawn to the ASB president or the captain of the football team or the basketball guy. And I'm okay with you reaching influential people. I think everybody does. I, it's such a, to me, it's such a God given grace. Think about Paul. Paul says, I, I can't boast about the measure outside of the sphere God's given me. But what God's given is supernatural. I didn't earn it. I didn't deserve it. God's given me a grace. He's given me an influence. This is my meta. This is my sphere. And it's so sovereign. And I think that I'm okay with that. I'm not okay if you go on like, I want to be close to celebrities. I want to be famous. Pastor and famous
1: don't go to, it's not our aim. We're- It's a really good episode. Also coming up, we got Brian Koppelman, John and McRae Acuff. Chris Anderson from TED Talks. Who else have we got? Annie F. Downs coming back. Patrick Lencioni and a whole lot more. Thank you so much for listening. And if you love this episode, please leave us a rating and review. We read them all the time. And because you're the kind of awesome human that listens to the end of podcasts, I got a free gift for you. Maybe you're a blogger, a podcaster, an author, or a communicator, and you're wondering, how do I get to my dream audience? Like, how do I get them to notice my message? And then once they notice your message, how do you get them to take action? Well, I share all of my secrets on how to build an influential online presence in a free mastermind that will show you exactly that. What you can do is check it out at influencekickstarter.com. To register for free, simply go to influencekickstarter.com you can register for free and I hope it really helps. I so appreciate you. Thank you so much for listening. And I hope our time together today has helped you thrive in life and leadership.